This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Last week, Pastor Taz launched us into this series with a very powerful message. And yes, I said he launched us into this series with a very powerful message. Okay, I'll say it again. He launched us into this series with a very powerful message. Yes, that's better, that's better. And he told us that uh, there are three um, ways that we should love. We should love God, we should love ourselves, and we should love others. And then he focused on loving self and on being proud of being single. So Pastor Taz took a right turn, and today I will take a left turn. And I want to speak to you briefly on relationships. But to give context to what I want to talk about is, you know, in February of 19, the second week of February, 1982, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought that... uh, I had met the love of my life, which I did, because he is my first love. And I thought, Jesus is everything I need. And I realized that that's not exactly true. Because when I met Jesus, he introduced me to the love of his life. I realized that Jesus is one of those people who when he comes to your life, he doesn't come alone. He comes with baggage. He comes with the love of his life. So he introduced me to the love of his life, the church. And ever since, I have not only been a believer, but I have been a churchman. I'm proud of the church because I'm proud of Christ. You cannot love him without loving the love of his life. And over the years, I've realized that we need and we are commanded to love God and love each other. So the title of my talk to this morning, this is not a message today, it's just a talk. The title of my talk is Loving God and Loving Each Other. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, the Bible says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It says, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. You see, if we are to imitate God, we need to know what God is like. And I've come to realize that God is relational. God is a God of covenant. And when we say God is a God of covenant, we are saying that God speaks, lives, dreams, lives the language of covenant. Because you see, covenant is a relational arrangement. It talks about 
So God is a covenant God. And covenant speaks to a relational arrangement. And it's about strong, committed relationships. Now when we understand that God works relationally through covenant, he does that for an intention and for a purpose. Because his purpose is to create a covenant community, which we call the church. Now, if we are to imitate God who is relational, it means we are going to be relational. It means we are going to be a community that relates to each other. You see, God has called us into a vital relationship with himself. But not only that, but he has called us into a vital relationship with the body of Christ. You know, over the years I have realized that while my salvation is personal, and, and I had to make a personal decision to relate with Christ, to accept Christ and become a child of God. In reality, the Christian life is lived within the context of relationships with the members of a local community of faith. Now, many people will say, oh, you know what, I can live my life alone, you know, I can watch television, I can, I can do worship service on YouTube, I can do all these kinds of things. It is true to an extent you can do that, but you cannot fully live the life of faith outside of relationships. You cannot fully love God without loving people, because the very nature of God whom we are supposed to imitate is that he is God who loves people. He is God who relates with people. And to love God is to love people. Hallelujah. You know, in Celebration Churches International, you see, our mission is that we are building a family of strong word-based churches that love God and serve people. And many times we forget that you can't build a family of churches without building a family within the church. So it is important that we begin to see ourselves as family because we are building a family. We are building people who love God and who serve people. You can't serve people you are not relating with. So when we can't express our values, we say one of our values is a language of love, but it can't be just about loving myself because if all I do is love myself, and I don't use it to reach out as a standard to love other people, then I'm selfish. So we need to begin to see how we can relate in a loving relationship, in an atmosphere that we say we are family. You see, we, we, we often say one of our mantras is we meet the needs of people, spirit, soul, and body. But you see, I've come to realize that one of the most important needs of people is a relational need. You see, human beings are relational. You know, it's a sad thing for somebody to come to church and feel lonely in church. And yet it happens often. Even so in Borodell. You know, I, I, I have often thought that it is very possible especially within a big church like Borodell, to say once you meet someone, you can't recognize them if you see them face to face. But if they turn their back and you see the back of their head, oh, I know you, you, are, you come to celebration because all we see is the back of the person seated in front of you. We don't have relationship face to face. And yet we talk about relationships. 
You know, th- th- this is for free. <laughs> you know, many years ago when I came to Celebration Church, my wife and I came to Celebration Church, we had uh, a wonderful experience. We knew God had called us here. And we, we stayed in the church when we came simply because God had spoken. You see, we, we came to church and we, we, we would enjoy the service. We walk out of the service and suddenly it's just me and my wife looking at each other and our children. Nobody would greet you, nobody. Even people we knew before we came here, they, they had their own cliques, they had their own circles. So we have become a church of cliques and circles and factions. I, I, we, we feel uncomfortable to open our circles to allow others. So somebody loves the, the church, but they don't understand how to relate with others because they feel like they are strangers in a place they call home. Me thinks this is wrong. We cannot love God without loving one another. So we need, we have an emotional need to relate. We need an, an emotional need to, to open up our hearts to others. So today I just want to challenge you to say, in this consideration of relationships, can we consider how we are opening up to others? Can we consider how we can make somebody who has been joined by God to the family, can feel the family accepting them? How, how do we go out of our way to say, today, you know, it's, it's amazing that uh, sometimes when I walk out of the service, I see the same people under the same tree talking to the same people every Sunday. And, and then we say, we have a value of relationship. We say, everything is relational. Relational, my foot. Anyway, 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 anyway. Okay, let me let me behave. Let me behave. So, First John chapter four, verse seven to eleven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I repeat, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now I have come to realize that love is not an option. Love is an ought. Now when we say love is an ought, we are saying it's something that is a duty. It's an obligation. I don't have a choice but to love you. But not only is it, when we say an ought, we are not just talking about a duty and an obligation. We are also saying it is the correct thing to do. So when we love one another in a relationship, it's the right thing to do. When we don't love each other, then it's the wrong thing to do. That's why we say we have a language of love. Hallelujah. So you have no choice but to love me, and I have no choice but to love you. Do we follow? 
So because love is an ought, he says here, you see, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He who does not love does not know God. You know, I, I pray in tongues, I fast, but when I read this scripture, I said, is it possible that my fasting and my tongues are not an indicator of knowing God? Because here it says, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Pafunge. Anyway, let, let, let's move on. Let's move on. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love, his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when, when, when I read scriptures like this, and I'm talking relationship, you see, we can't talk a relation. No, okay, let me back off a little bit. You see, we are not just talking about relationship because I have a relationship with my dog. But it's a hate relationship. It's still a relationship. So you can have a relationship with a brother, but it's a hate relationship. But here we are talking a love relationship. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? So he says here, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were undeserving. He loved us when we were unworthy. And yet many times we, we, as believers, we look at people and we say, ah, when they mature a little bit, when they now know how to pray, or when they have finished entering the kingdom, when they've done this, then I can love them. But he loved us when we were undeserving. He loved us when we were unqualified. He loved us when there was nothing to show for it. He loved us when we, when we couldn't even put perfume. You know, there are people in church who, unless you have a certain aroma, a certain fragrance, they can't hug you. It's, it's as if in church there are people who have a, an allergy to cheap perfumes. As if you started with an expensive fragrance. We, you, we forget where we came from. We, we don't embrace one another. You know, we, we are talking relationships here. Remember, please don't say he was preaching at us. I'm not preaching. It's just a talk. Said your neighbor, neighbor, it's just a talk. So God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this reminds us of a, reminds me of a situation we had when we were in Blauayo. We had one of these satellite churches and we would say to people, anybody and everybody is welcome uh, to, to visit us in our home. And from this satellite church, nobody would come. And we didn't understand. And so we... We would try to reach out to them until one day we discovered that the lay leader who was responsible for that church was saying to these people, you know, um, not everyone is qualified to go to dog and mom's house. You have to be able, if you don't wear a stiletto, if you don't dress like this, you, are, you don't qualify. And... And when we discovered that, 
we realized that we were significantly being misrepresented. So we were trying to love people who were being taught that you have to qualify for our love. You didn't, Jesus didn't have to qualify you for his love. So why do you put criteria on the people who you are going to relate to? Why, why do you have to say which side of the rail tracks do they come from before I relate with them? As if you were born the right side. Anyway, let's leave that. John 13, verses 34 to 35. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. He says, a new commandment I give to you. We said initially that love is an ought. Love is an obligation. Now we are hearing here that love is a commandment. So if we don't love one another, if our relationship is not a love relationship as brothers, as family, as the family of God, as the family of Christ, when we don't have that love relationship, it means we are disobeying the commandment of Christ. So I'm commanded to love you. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, I love you. I love you, neighbor. Because I am commanded to love you. <laughs> Neighbor, you don't have to qualify for my love. I love you anyway. Hallelujah. You see, there's something I want you to see in that scripture. He says, love each other just as much as I have loved you. Let me put it differently. He is saying the measure of the love relationship we should have with one another is, its standard is supposed to be the love of Christ. How much has he loved us? How much does he love me? Or put it another way, the standard of love that has been set is as I have loved you. Now, I, I know me, I don't know you, but I know that sometimes I, I love God passionately. But there are some times when I, when I struggle with certain things. He is telling me not to do these things. And I, 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 I say, Lord, I love you. I wanted to stop, but can you give me one more week? And, and I try to negotiate doing things that he doesn't like. But yet he still loves me. You see, he who knows me more than anybody else loves me. His love is sacrificial. It's undeserved love. It's non-judgmental love. And yet when we love one another, we love one another and we, while we are taking third-party offenses, you say, ah, this brother, I love them, but what I heard about them, I don't remember what exactly I had, but I think it's not good, so I'm going to be careful around them. Because we are often very judgmental. 
But you see, when we create an undeserving love, a non-judgmental love, a sacrificial love, that loves as Jesus loves, then that creates a place called a covenant community of faith. Put simply, it's called the church. It's a place of acceptance. It's a place of belonging. It's a place where, you know, when I've been, I've been harassed by the world, I feel like I want to go to church because I'm going to my own. The book of Acts says when they've been harassed by the world, they went to their own. But sometimes you come to church and you say, you are even afraid of in inviting your friends because if you invite your friends, they'll come, they'll enjoy church, and then they'll see you just standing lonely after the service. Nobody ever greets you. Then they say, what kind of church is that? Don't look at me like that because that's what we do. <laughs> Hallelujah. If I am to borrow from a political party, <laughs> we have to live like Christ. Hallelujah. We have to create a covenant community of faith where people feel belonging. They feel this is home. We see when I walk into a celebration church, I should feel like I am home. It doesn't even matter even if I am not from celebration church Borodeo. If I come with my relatives, they should just feel like there is a whole lot of love here. These people have a language of love. But often... We, we do very interesting things. Okay, allow me to just deal with this. This is one of my petty peeves. It's really, I'm allergic to it because people do it all the time. Have you ever seen you are, you are standing with three, four people and somebody comes, they hug number one, they hug number two, they hug number three, then they just give you a hand. Really? If you feel like you can't hug, don't hug these others. Just also give them a hand. I'm, I'm talking relationships. Loving God, loving each other. So, so church should be a place of acceptance should be a place of belongings. It's a place of identity where I feel like among, I am among my own. Hallelujah. Somebody sent a little WhatsApp story and it had this line which I loved. It says, I am strong when you have my back. And you are strong when I have your back. That's loving one another. And yet often the church is very good at stabbing each other at the back. Anyway, let, let's leave that for the now. Now he says, when you love one another, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. In other words, you are saying, the great commandment, which is love one another, is key to the great commission. You can't win souls if you don't love. Because he who does not live in love lives in death. That's what scripture says. John 15 verses 9, 12 to 13. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the standard of loving 
is the, the way he has loved me. If I feel loved by Christ, I will love others. If I feel like I qualified for his love, therefore I will qualify others. If I feel that his love was non-discriminatory, it was not deserved, then I will love others without, without them deserving it. So the standard he puts is this. As the Father loved me, so I loved you. And love one another as the Father loves me. Can you imagine how the Father loves Jesus? He is saying that's the standard of love. He says the Father loved me, and with the love that he loved me, I have loved you. Now you go with the same love and love one another. I think this is quite a heavy, this is quite a heavy stuff. Listen to this version. It's called the Passion Translation. John 15, 9, 12, and 13. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. This is a love based on grace, not on merit. He says, excise grace to others to the extent that you have received grace. Are we together? Let's move on to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 12 to 11 to 12. says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. This is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I told you love is an ought. Love is a should. Love is a commandment. When you don't love me because you don't like my nose, your problem is not me. Your problem is the one whose commandment you are disregarding. You think I'm your problem. I'm not your problem. You are not my problem. My problem is I am disregarding a clear biblical command. He says we should love one another. Not as Cain was the wicked one and murdered his brother. says why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother was righteous. Have you ever seen people who slander? When they see somebody comes and they, they love God, they are worshiping God, they are praying, and then they say, ah, wananingi, they, they want it to be seen. Wano onererwa. But when I'm in the presence of God, I love God. I show off when I'm in the presence of God. So what's your problem? My, my love for God should actually motivate and provoke you. When somebody is serious, they are giving, they are tithing. Then you say, oh, they just do it because they want it to be seen. So you are not doing it because you want what? You see, so we slander each other because of the evil in our hearts. You know, the ch church is interesting. Hallelujah. Church is like family. Because family has some very interesting characters. And sometimes we have some black sheep of the family. You see, there are brothers who when you are together and sisters when we are together, in your face, 
They, they, they love you, they hug you, they, they tell you you are the best, you are this, you are, but behind you, they are cutting you, they are setting you up to fail, they are doing things. And just like Cain, say to your neighbor, neighbor, you should love, we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Let's not murder one another with our words, with our thoughts, and with our slander. My brother and my sister, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So he says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Is it possible, if this scripture says we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, is it possible that you think you are born again and yet you are still in death? Because it says, he who does not love the brother abides in death. Is it possible you think you are okay with the heaven when you are not? Just asking. We're talking relationships. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, everybody, okay, most believers know John 3.16. But I wonder how many know 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, that's a relationship. A relationship that says, I will lay down my interest. I will lay down the things that are for my advantage, for the benefit of my brother, for the benefit of my sister. Jesus did not need to come and die on the cross. He was okay. He would have lived eternally without you. But because of our disadvantage, while we were yet sinners, he hung on the cross. He laid down his life. And he says to the extent that he laid down his life for the brethren, we should lay down our lives for one another. It actually says we also ought, it's, a, it's an obligation, it's a duty, it's the right thing for us to lay down our lives for the brethren. So laying down our lives and laying aside our interests for the benefit of others is at the heart of meaningful covenant relationships. Because covenant says, I am willing to die, I am willing to lose that you may win. I am not pursuing my own. I am not using people to get what I want. I am laying down my life to be a platform for others to be able to go further. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we talk about relationships because we need to huddle together. We need to get closer so that we, get, we go further. Hallelujah. Romans 12, 9 to 10. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Let, let, let me read it in the New Living Translation. It says it's better than the King James. It says, don't just pretend to love others. But really love them. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, don't just pretend to love me. 
really love me. Says he hates what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Not just affection, genuine affection. Love each other with genuine affection. Not as pretense. Not as because I want to get something out of you. But I genuinely love you. And take delight in honoring each other. When somebody does well, honor them. Don't say, ah, they did well, but. In English, whenever you use the word but within a sentence, you have just neutralized everything else you said before that. You know, there are some, some, some brothers and sisters who are so cunning. They say, oh, you know what? That was a very powerful message. I mean, that is incredible. But do you know the story behind the story? Listen, there is no story to this story. We are talking relationships. Hallelujah. This series was not crafted, not themed, because we had an agenda against anyone. But of course, if the shoe fits. <laughs> you see, we, for us to achieve what God wants us to achieve, we need to handle together and be united in relationships so that we push forward the agenda of what God is calling us. You see, we can't go further if we are divided. We need to unite. We need to relate. We need to be in covenant. We need to love each other without hypocrisy. We need to not to pretend but to love really. Hallelujah. Praise God. Say to your neighbor, neighbor, I think that was a good introduction. So I said all that to be able to say these three things. You see, relationships have three stages. So I want to talk to you about the roadmap to brotherly love, to what it means to have relationships, and what are the stages of relationships. You see, when we talk about relationships, it's practical. Hallelujah. So let's, let's go down and see what this means. You see, the first level of brotherly relationships, remember the Bible says, let brotherly love continue. So for us to develop in relationship, we start as acquaintances. You see, as an acquaintance, we have to learn to accept each other. Romans 15, 5 to 7 says this. May God who gives his patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting of the followers of Christ. To live in harmony with each other as is fitting of the followers of Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the part I want to focus on is, therefore accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given glory. So we need to come to a point of accepting one another. When I first meet you, I don't even know you. You see, but Jesus accepted me when I was an unknown. He accepted me when there was nothing to qualify me. The very thing that I had just come to him, he accepted me. Then he says, the way I have accepted you, with your baggage, with your challenges, is the way you have to accept one another. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So we need to begin to move first to say, how can we begin to love each other and accept each other unconditionally? I'm not talking about love relationships. I'm not talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about relationships as brothers. So as brothers, how can I accept you? Because if I love God, I have to love you. Hallelujah. This is again for free. You know, I used to be very excited when people told me that they love me. Because I love to be loved. And I used to think it's the greatest compliment. Until I discovered a scripture that says, love your enemies. <laughs> and I began to wonder when people say, I love you, are they saying I love you as a friend or I love you as an enemy? Because you see, love is an oath. Love is a commandment. You get what I'm saying? But when somebody says, I like you, you can't like your enemy. So I think the greatest thing is to say, when you move from just loving, which is a commandment, we move from being just loving because it is sacrificial, to a point where you genuinely like each other. You love each other's company and say, I like you. you know? so, so I love you all. says accept one another unconditionally you see we should know each other past superficiality i mean how many times have you been around you know i i see this a lot in church i'm a church bureaucrat so i deal with things sometimes i'm talking to somebody and they say oh you know i was talking to this one about this one and so on and i'm standing there i'm saying oh my god either you are ignorant foolish or both because the person you are talking about to this one is related to this person. So you, you are sitting, you are gossiping to this one about that one, and the one is just listening. Then they go to that one and they say, you know, that person doesn't even like you. Because we don't know each other past the superficiality. We don't even know, how, how many of us know what each other does? You know, you can be with friends. Have you been around friends where this person is your a, a real friend? Okay, real in quotes. But when you meet some other friends, you say, let's just introduce each other. Everybody, just introduce yourself. Because there's one friend that you have been a friend with for a long time, you don't even know their name. <laughs> now you are kind of embarrassed. You know. You know, I, I, I grew up in a church movement where really... We were, we were really blessed because at some point the, the pastor stood up and he says, you know, I'm tired of people asking each other, how are you and so on. So when you greet, you should always say shalom. So, and he didn't know that we were so excited because we would meet these brothers and these sisters and you didn't know their name. And you say, do I know them? Are they from church or not? And then suddenly shalom became very trendy because whenever I met them, I just say shalom. If they say shalom, I say, you are my blessed. I know you. You, you. you are from church. Yes, we go together. We are, we are great friends. If they don't say anything, then you say, oh, okay, no, not this one. You know? <laughs> so in celebration, you just say grace and peace. If somebody thinks you are just talking, if they are quiet, then you say, mm, okay, no, this is not a, a tribe of reformation. But, but we need to know each other past superficiality. How do we do that? 
We need to, be, to listen to each other. We need to be able to, to tell each other our stories, to talk about our careers, our hopes, our frustrations. It takes time to get to know people. You need to talk to each other about our life stories. I mean, if you have an acquaintance where you don't know their life story, you don't actually know them. You know, if, if you ever... No, okay, let's move away from that. Let's be nice. You see, we need to build so, uh, trust by creating social functions, visiting each other, creating time for one another. You know, one time I was talking to, we were having a chat with Pastor Tom. Now, African brothers, listen to me carefully. We were talking with Pastor Tom about funerals and things. And, and, he's, and he said, and I said, I, I'm a little bit frustrated because our reputation as Celebration Church is that we are never there for each other, especially in difficult moments. When there are funerals, things, I even remember somebody saying somebody, oh, somebody had had a funeral and they, they called out to somebody and somebody says, oh, if you are to be effectively pastored, be, be in a cell. If you are not in a cell, nobody is coming to your funeral. I, say, I said, which church is that? But, but we, we, so we're talking about these things and, and, and I said, and Pastor Tom says, I don't know what's wrong with you African brothers. He says, you know, in the European community, if there's a funeral, if there's anything, we get together, we know how to get together. Somebody brings a plate, somebody brings this, somebody brings that, and we, we huddle together and we help each other. And, but you guys, you send a small delegation in a church of 3,000, there are 10 people at the funeral, and then you say, ah, we were represented. Ah. So when I was listening to him, I thought, do you know, we Africans, we have a strong sense of community. A very strong sense of community. I mean, I, I hear people say, oh, let's build community. I say, you build community by living in community. You see, my children are raised by the whole village. You get what I'm saying? If I'm doing something wrong, somebody will just walk up and say, Doc, what is this? And I, I don't have to say, oh, it's my private affair. What private? Community is no private. If you do something that jeopardizes the community, the community will gang up against you. It's social. I'm going to enter my small house. I'm going to grow. I'm you. And anyway, 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 leave that alone. Leave that alone. So, so here is the point. Here is the point. You see, as as we rose up in the social. As we rose up in the social structures, we delinked ourselves from our Africanness, from our sense of community, from our sense of being with each other. You know, we, we have a false understanding of a Eurocentric culture. We, we, we think ah, it's cool not to know my neighbor. It's cool not to, to relate with the people around me. It's, uh, I mean, I create my own space. And we think we are being civilized. Civilized out of our humanity. So acquaintances, you need to get to accept one another. Now here is my question. 
if you were to know my past, and if you were to peep into my pain, would you still accept me? If you had to, to know where I'm really coming from, or do I have to position myself a certain way that I may be accepted by you? Anyway, so at the level of acquaintance, you are building relationships. You are reaching out to be able to love one another. You are walking out. If somebody, after the church service, if somebody seems to be walking alone, just walk up and greet them and say, it's so good to have you in church. Hallelujah. And open a conversation. You know, some of us, they, we even want to be married or to marry, and yet we don't even know how to open a conversation with anyone for that matter. Anyway, let, let, I, I don't want to go there. Don't, don't take me there. So, so we start as acquaintances. And then we move on, number two, to friendship. You see, once you have known me, once you have known my story, you are creating a relationship of friendship. At the level of acquaintances, you are working at accepting each other. I don't have to qualify for you to accept me. The very fact that I'm blood-bought, I'm a child of God, is enough reason for you to accept me. We are family. And then at the second level, we move towards a friendship, where we are, the, fine, the fundamental thing is about how do we encourage each other. First Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. So you are coming alongside to help. You are becoming vitally involved in what God is doing in each other's life. You begin to affirm what God is doing in each other. You begin to create relationships. You are praying for each other. You are helping each other bear life's burdens. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, when you get to a place of being friends, you are there for each other. You motivate each other. You encourage each other. And you press on. You, you, you sharpen each other. As Proverbs 20, 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens his friend. You see, at a friendship level, you are willing to to talk to your friend and say, you know what? The things we hear, my brother, are not right. Can we correct something? Some people say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to, to, to hurt them. I don't want to correct them. I want to, you see, I just want to be friendly. But do you realize that when you talk heart to heart with your friends, in reality, you are sharpening them. You know, some people are great friends because they've never had a fight. But you see, you are not authentic friends until you have survived a friendship conflict. When you have, you have really had a, a real conflict and you, you still say after the good fight, you can then say, we are still friends, we are still brothers. That was a good fight. We are fighting fair, but we, we still survive. If your friendship cannot survive conflict, then it's not a friendship. I'll just leave it like that. Number three, we, we need to move towards closure. You see, you move from being an acquaintance where you're accepting one another. You move to being friends where you're encouraging one another. Then you become brothers where you exhort one another. Colossians 3, 13 to, 16, 13 to 14, 16 says, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the message of the word of Christ go in you richly and fill your lives, teaching and counseling each other with all wisdom. So he says, you, you must bear each other. You must give allowances for each other's fault. Have you ever heard people say, oh, you know what, I can't take that from a Christian. I can't take it from a brother. You see, you can take it from an unbeliever, but you will not give an allowance for a brother. They are close to you, and when they do something silly, then you say, no, no, I'm done with them. If an unbeliever does it, you say, give them grace. You extend more grace to an unbeliever than to your brother. And yet the Bible says, make allowances for the other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. It does not say give them license. It says when you have made those allowances, you must fill yourself with the word of God. Then after filling yourself with the word of God, you must exhort, you must teach, you must counsel, you must confront issues. I've, I began to realize that, you see, many people don't want to confront and hold people accountable, not because they don't want to be mean. In reality, they are protecting self. You see, if I walked up to Pastor Les and I said, Pastor Les, this is what I am hearing about you. Pastor Les, I think this is not biblical. I think you should correct yourself in this manner. You, do you know what that means? It's not I'm saying I am holy and he is wrong. When I do that, I'm actually giving him permission to say, next time you see me do anything wrong, come and confront me. You, you follow? But if I don't want to be confronted and I want to preserve myself, then I don't touch you. I say, no, no, I see it, but I won't say anything. So when Pastor Les comes to me, then I say, but you also have your issues. Did you ever see me come to you? So really, when people are afraid of confronting, they are protecting self. Are we together? If you see me do things, wrong things, I don't want you to talk to someone. Come talk to me. Hallelujah. So you see, as brothers, we, we challenge each other. We hold each other accountable. You, we tell each other the uncomfortable truth as we spare each other to holiness. That's what brothers do. That's what the relationship is. If your relationship cannot get to a point where we can confront each other and say, mm, my sister, what I am hearing, and you know, the, 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 here is the African problem. By African, I mean both white and black Africans. So here is the African problem. Because an African is by residence. Okay? So here is the African problem. If you say the things we are hearing about you are not right, people begin to say, who told you? I want the names. I want the facts. What names? <laughs> I am not giving you any names. If, if, if this is true, correct yourself full stop. <laughs> why, why do you want the source? You see, when somebody begins to ask for V11s and ask for evidence, it means they are wrong. I am telling you, if somebody has rigged, they will ask for evidence. They say, give us the V11s, give us the residue. If somebody, if you are confronting somebody and they say, what evidence do you have? If it's wrong, you just say, no, my brother, it's not true. Full stop. Or it's, I am wrong, sorry, God. I have, that's all. What evidence do you want? Hallelujah. So as brothers, you are saying, I love you too much to allow you to destroy yourself. That's what brothers are there for. 
Hallelujah. Ephesians 4, 2 to 3. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Hallelujah. We are about to land. It's 11 o'clock and in about five minutes I'm landing. So 1 John 4, 20 to 21 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he sees, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have received from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And this is the commandment we have received from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. Loving God, loving each other. Thank you, Lord. You see, I love you because I love God. I don't love you because of you. I love you because I love God. You see, my love for the brethren is a manifestation and a demonstration of my covenant loyalty to God. Because love is a must. I love the brothers because I love God. So we should, when we love God, we love each other. You know, I've... You see, brothers are brothers. And they stand there for each other. You know, years ago, we... My wife and I stayed in the nation of Greece for almost nine years. We built relationships while we were there. And we, in 1998, we came back to Zim. And we, we kept saying to our friends there, we will come back, we want to come back to, to see you and so on. But the economy tumbled and things went wrong and we, we couldn't go back. But in 2016, we, Pastor Tom graciously with the help of some of you, bless us to be able to go back and visit Greece. And we went to Greece just with our air tickets, with a little bit of money. We, we went by faith, not knowing how we were going to live. But the moment we sent to some friends and we said, look, we are coming to Greece. We have not seen each other for 18 years. And one of these friends said, you know what, before we said we wanted to go and stay in Athens first and then we would go to Thessaloniki, where we, we had stayed much longer. And this friend says, no, no, before you go to Thessaloniki, come to, before you go to Athens, come to Thessaloniki and change your program. And she really insisted. So we said, ah, we don't know why she's insisting. So we, we went to Thessaloniki and she says, I didn't tell you, but I am leaving to be, I'm going on holiday to Denmark for three weeks. So I'm leaving in two days time. I wanted to make sure I see you before you, before you, before I leave. But more importantly, you know, I, I know that you probably were looking for a hotel. We had not even booked any hotel because we didn't even have money. We were just believing God that somehow we are going to find some cheap rundown place. And she says, I've already organized my house and I want you to stay in my house for the three weeks. I said, three weeks in somebody's house whom you last met 18 years ago? That, that's loving the brothers. 
You, you understand what I'm saying? So that's why I love the church. There's benefit in being in the church. Not when you expect it and you demand it, but when brothers reach out to you. You know what I'm saying? So, we, so when we got there, we, the, 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 we had this troop that came and met us. And they said, oh, you know what the other one says? Yeah, she has given you uh, the, the, the accommodation. I'm providing your meals for the whole three weeks. So somebody was just coming and bringing meals. And we looked at each other and we said, and we said sweetheart, who are we for people to do this for us? But we then realized it was not because of us. It was because these guys learned that he who loves God must love the brothers. So you see, loving God means we love each other. We love people because we love Jesus. You know, the longer that I live, the more convinced I am that the longer we gaze into his eyes in worship, it won't be long before our gaze will turn in the direction of his own gaze, in the direction of people. God always has people in his, on his mind. He loves people. He cares for people. You cannot love God and not love people. Ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about relationships, we have to understand that God is relational. And if the Bible says that we must imitate God, then we must imitate Him in loving people. If we are to have relationships, they have to be relationships that move from being acquaintances to being friends to being brothers. When we begin to love each other like that and we get close enough to each other that we accept one another, then we can push forward the mandate of reformation because we will have each other's back. You will know that all I have to do is to focus on the enemy in front. My back is covered. But right now, for the greater part of the church, we have to fight while we are watching our back because we are not so sure what the brothers will do behind you. May God help us as we stand. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.